Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. This is your host, Maria Taigi, and let's just take some minutes to listen to that. Today we are talking to Yair Yona. He's a Tel Aviv-based entrepreneur in the fields of digital marketing, music, and culture. He had been an active musician in a number of local bands, along with releasing music as a solo act, as you just heard. You can just search in YouTube, Yair Yona. This one, is, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Also, I just love the titles of his songs. Um, and, you know, at the end of this interview, we're going to put a little more so you can all listen as well. He was a radio show host a record store guy, a CMO in three startups, and manager and co-manager of three indie records labels. Yair's current projects are his digital marketing engine, Lentils, that focuses on promoting impact and social awareness crowdfunding campaigns for NGOs and startups. He's a partner in Tel Aviv's Capsula, genre blending art events, and hosts the Onit Workshop, about day-to-day -day personal empowerment for effective work, projects, and tasks management. Yair is married to Mirav, father of Tamara, and a humble owner of Martha the dog. <laughs> I just love your introduction, Yair. How are you doing today? <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> It was such a pleasure preparing your interview, especially the part that I was searching for your songs and listening to it. So, you know, you're an artist, beautiful compositions, a creator. You say you are into creating massive value to people, to the world. What do you think in your journey, in your story, made you who you are today? Well, that's, I think it's like great entry question and it's also a great summary question to the end of our discussion <laughs> because it's such a, such a huge question. I think um, it's very difficult to, to, to track the, that one point in your life, but I think the, one of the key, key events that I had in my life that I think had a direct influence on me as a person or as a... You know, just like a human being and, and a career person simultaneously. I think it was the when I was 13, you know, I had my bar mitzvah, as uh, most uh, Jewish Israeli or, or Jewish in general 13-year-old boys do. And uh, we had that party and it was great. And when the last of the guests left the hall, we had like a huge cake, like, uh, I don't know, 17,000 floors of cake, you know, something that is totally sugar rush when it was not something in your in people's awareness you know <laughs> this was like hundreds and thousands of kilograms of tons of sugars <laughs> but it was like a huge cake and you know what what do you do with that kind of cake i mean you cannot take it home because no one's gonna eat it but i remember it was standing like there and i thought we we're gonna leave it there for someone and my father told me just like after a few minutes after the last one last person left he told me go pack the cake we'll leave it 
And I was like, are we taking the cake home? Who's going to eat it? What are we going to do with the cake? You know? And he didn't tell me where we're going. And we entered the car and we traveled for some time and uh, we arrived to a hospital. He took me by the hand, told me to take the cake with me. And we went upstairs to the children department in the hospital. And he told me, go give it to the nurse and tell her she want to share your happiness with all the kids who are staying right there in the hospital because of their illnesses and stuff. And that, I think that event of generosity really left a huge impact on my life. But, you know, it was one of, there's always this, this big like, lesson that you took from your parents. I think this is the biggest lesson of them all. That is such an impactful story. And you know, one of the things that I loved about these conversations we've been having is that Everybody that I'm talking to that are trying to make this positive impact in the world. And I ask, why? What's the story behind that? What is moving you? Usually the answer is always about around the family and how you were raised. And there's this specific event that marked the person. And it just make uh, me more aware, even more. And I, and I hope the listeners as well as our responsibility as parents, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, being a young parent, fresh young parent that I am now, father to a nine, almost nine months old baby, I realize now how much of effect I have on her life. Because it's something that you know, rationally you know it, but you need to be in the situation of becoming a parent to really understand how much every Every time that I snooze, it has some, some sort of, a, of an impact. Every time that I cough, I have, it has some sort of an impact on her. So, um, I mean, we can, we can definitely make the next generation, you know, tremendously better if we take the responsibility on ourselves to be the educators that we might not have in our teenage years, you know? You cannot really tolerate anything you shouldn't be tolerating anything that is wrong. It should bother you as much as possible. When it starts to bother you, then then that's the, the first step of change that the world needs. Because then you'll be somewhat the, um, the advocate, you'll be the ambassador of the change in that specific field that you're talking about. You know? I, saw, I saw it uh, in my own personal life. When I started practicing Buddhism about 10 or 9 years ago, something like that, 8, I don't remember. And the second that I was aware of the term of suffering or the, the, the dis-ease or the discomfort of life, I started seeing the dis-ease and the discomfort and the suffering just everywhere. And at first it, it really bugged me. I mean, uh, the, everywhere I went, I saw broken things. All of a sudden, which is something that I didn't see before that. But I'm very grateful for that because now I can actually, I can see things much clearly and then convey the lessons that I learned in my parents' house to make the changes that I am capable of doing. I think that uh, you kind of started answering my next question, which is, uh, what's the story behind Lentils? So, you know, you are moving in this direction, but I'd like to know not only your goal or, or why you are, you're doing this, you're focusing on promoting impact and social awareness. So you 
you're already driving us through that. But what's behind the name as well? So it's lentils. So what's what's the meaning of lentils in your life? <laughs> uh, well, it started as a joke, basically. But lentils is everything. Think about it. When I became when I became vegan, you don't eat any more products at all. So you, so your protein has to come from plants and vegetables and legumes and lentils and beans. So I thought um, I became a, a big fan of lentils because it is such a great present that nature gave us. Like it's full of protein and it's colorful, it's very psychedelic and it makes you feel like full. It's a good nutrition for your body. So I started using the the term lentils in every, everything that I did. I mean, like I had this phrase, choose lentils over wars. I mean, every time you feel like making a war, have lentils instead. And I know it's like it's like a, it's like a very silly statement, but it was like the obvious and trivial things are there for you to use, and they're probably much better than all the sophistication and complications that we mankind are are doing. So then it was like, uh, okay, if there was a company that is focusing on making high-value campaigns, what would be a good name for it? And then it was like obvious lentils because it's always in my life. <laughs> And how, how has it been going to, to, to be searching for a positive impact? What's your process, you know? So you're basically, you're choosing your clients, right, somehow. Tell me more about it. And they're choosing me and I'm, they're choosing me and I choose them. I mean, it's a business and client relationship like any other. It's just like that the, our field of business is more on the, on the crowdfunding campaigns side and I'm not interested in promoting crowdfunding campaigns to you know uh, a new gadget or whatever not that there's anything wrong with having a new gadget in the world it's just not something that uh, personally I feel like passionate about so I say if we can take our capabilities of writing good good content and designing good content and use digital platforms uh, advertising systems for stuff that are not harmful, and has a very good and ethical moral code in how we speak and how we design and, and the type of stuff that we promote. I mean, this is where it's all uh, joined together. So they come to me, they come to us, and we see if it's something that fits our ethical code or moral code. And off we go. I mean, it's a very simple process. It's just, it's just a bit more selective than any other digital marketing agency. I don't take anyone I mean, there's good, probably good products and companies and projects that I missed and, you know, it's a shame. However, it's not our focus. So the next question I'm asking is more thinking about, you know, helping our listeners as much as we, we have uh, local and cultural specificities, right? You know, sometimes there are advices that could be helping people around the world when it comes to crowdfunding to social causes and positive impacts, right? So do you have any advice to people that are trying to raise funds through crowdfunding? And, and being a little more specific, I've already read studies that mentions that when you're trying to raise funds, right, to, to any cause, it's more effective to focus on the story behind the cause and less on the numbers. Because when, when you're focusing on the numbers, X amount of people are impacted or you're helping X amount of people, 
you activate a side of the brain that you're rationalizing. And when you start rationalizing, you start finding, let's say, excuses like, but this is supposed to be the government's duty or whatever it is. And when you focus on the story, you are appealing to the emotional side of people. Uh, do you have any experience to share that you think that is worth or not? Or you think that specifically in Israel, as you told me, you already have this very strong culture of giving back to society is something that is not as much impactful as maybe in other countries? Well, first and foremost, I'm not sure how it works in other societies, but I, I do think that Israelis uh, are listed in some reports that I read, listed very high in donation value, the value that they make out of donation each year. And I think it's um, because of that. Be sure that you have like gazillions of NGOs that are trying to attract the exact same people who donate. So it, it balances eventually. I, I think that, again, it's very hard to mention tips. I think what you said about creating a story, think about it, Maria, when you were like five in the kindergarten, and you had like someone coming to the kindergarten with a strange hat and telling a story about a big fox dressed in red who is trying to eat the grapes and then the lion comes and, it, and it's using all sorts of sound effects and maybe costumes to make it. I mean, this is what you were attracted to. It was very important in your world, you know, because when you have a person who is telling a captivating story, this is it. Story is everything. It, it comes from when we were living in the caves. You had stories crafted in the, on the walls. People attracted to stories. That, that's the whole thing. I mean, think about it. You, you'd go to the cinema and you say, I saw a film, it was crappy direction and uh, the actors were horrible, but what a story. But you, you wouldn't be saying something that is the opposite. You wouldn't be saying something like, it was such an awful story, but wow, that actor was amazing. I mean, who cares if the actor was amazing, if the story was bad? So I think it's the same, in a way, it's the same thing. I'm not sure that I support that statement that you don't speak about numbers. It's all a matter of how you're going to do it. If I'm going to talk to your emotions and say, look, you have the opportunity, Maria, to make a huge change in the life of kids in Brazil. And right now we have 2,000 people like you who already joined. Would you like to join us? That's it. I mean, who cares, who cares about the numbers? The numbers are just there to augment the supporting element. It's not, of course, it's not their thing. I'm not going to tell you. Hey, come support uh, support our cause in Brazil. We have ten uh, thousand people who already did that. No, because if you don't know the story and if you're not touched and moved, I mean, think about it. You are a set of values. If I want to be captivating your values, we don't have a common conversation. And it's about crowdfunding, and it's about peace process between two countries. It's about relationships between companies. It's always the same same thing. Are my values and your values has to communicate somehow. This is what it's all about. This is the basic of communication. And, you know, talking about companies and values, let's let's keep that road. Com companies are now starting to understand that, you know, pretty soon ESG is, is going to become an obligation and no longer a competitive advantage. We are in this turning point, right? It's a social obligation. This new generation is just going to be a requirement. That's at least what we're we're hearing, right? So how do you see this movement affecting the market today? And how do you see that in the future? What's your vision about that? I mean, I'm not an economic expert in a way, but I, I feel that companies, corporates and humans will be attracted to go where the herd is going. 
And if we have like a climate change problem right now, it's obvious, I mean, I think it's obvious that, you know, green energy companies will be taking the lead over oil companies. And it's just a question of when. It's just a, like a natural evolvement of stuff. If you'd ask me in the 70s, do you think that computer is something that the world will go to? I mean, yeah, you'd see that from turning the mainframe computers to, to PCs or Macs, and you can see the trend. In ESGs, you, you, see, you see a definite trend. The world is going to a better place, but I don't think it comes from a choice. It comes from the lack of choice. But either way, that's the way it goes. I mean, you still have like silly presidents who believe that corrupting the, the environment is something that needs to be done for some reason. I, I, always, I always feel that these politicians have no kids. Because if they had kids and they would love their kids, there's no way they're going to leave them a world that looks like that. And still supporting, you know, pollution and, and you know, being, being a slave to the corporate world. You know what I mean? It's like that song by Sting, you know, when it says, uh, if, I hope the Russians will love the children true. But I'm not talking about the Russians specifically because I don't like to talk in nations, but it's, it's about that. I mean, the only thing that needs to happen is that these people will love their children enough. You know, just love your children enough and you won't be making any war, any pollution, anything. It's very simple. It's actually very simple and it's not really hippie. It's really, it's the basic, authentic truth. I mean, people should, sorry for my language, people should stop being such douchebags, you know? Stop douchebagging the world. That's what you need to do. Stop douchebagging the world. That's perfect. Th that has to be the title of this episode now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so, you know, we are getting to the end of, of the first episode. Stay tuned, everybody. We still have a lot to talk about with Yairi Yonan. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.